We are back on a gross, gross Monday here in the state of Oklahoma. It's like 60 degrees. It's been raining all day. Feels like the Northwest. And Matt, I hate to lead that into you because I know things have been a little bit dreary and a little bit sad and all of that fun stuff. It's uh, it's okay, man. It's fine. We're we're doing fine now. Um, I, I just I just needed to get through that night, um, of Duke losing, and then and then I was good the next day, man. So uh, we're all good. It was a fantastic game to watch. Uh, I'm sure for everyone who didn't have a dog in the fight, it was it was excruciating for me. But uh, but no, still a good basketball game, man. And uh, rock chalk. Am I right? It should be, I mean, again, the Brady Manic story is very fascinating, and I'm sure we'll talk about it here in just a second, but I do want to mention it is Matt Burton and I tonight. Matt hasn't been on the Sunday pod in a minute because the Thunder keep playing on Sundays in the back half of the schedule for some reason. Um, no Peyton Guthrie tonight. He has some prior commitments. But, yeah, the Brady Manic story, Matt, has been – fascinating i mean he's playing above expectation the last like two and a half three weeks i mean they're nine and one against the spread in the last 10 games north carolina that is and so like that part of it is cool i know from your perspective you want to see you don't want to see north carolina win this game and but here's the other thing is too right like i don't want to see kansas win like kansas shouldn't be able to be competing in the postseason right now no, I'm 100% with you. Yeah, they shouldn't be at all. They had, what was it, four or five times the amount of infractions that uh, that Oklahoma State had? Yeah. And, 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 and they're the still, other, yeah, they're playing for a title. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing is, too, right, is it, like, rumored? This isn't reported officially out there by anybody. But I have seen some, like, rumors from some Kansas, Kansas beat writers or at least some of the local media up there. Like, they're – potential punishment is like bill self not coaching in the tournament like the next couple years or something like that and it's just like i mean it's why even have them in the tournament at that point (laughs) yeah that's that's also a good point put a Uh, put a postseason ban on them and call it good but no they're they're a blue blood so they're not going to have any any punishment yeah that's what i said i'm surprised that i'm not surprised the first thing i saw sunday morning matt the, the final four was one of the most watched final four since 2017 the NCAA basketball committee, Matt, they're going to have to eliminate from 64 to 32. They need, they need to start pairing up as many of these blue bloods as possible, right? Isn't that how we put these tournaments together? That's how you do it. That is absolutely how you do it, man. Uh, now, if, if they did that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the St. Peter's run, man. We wouldn't have had any of that. Kentucky would have just walked through and, yeah, done all that. But, no, man, I uh, – yeah, I, I'm I, – I want Kansas to win. I, I was, like – begrudgingly happy for Brady Manic. It, it was one of those where like he just kept hitting threes and yeah I was pissed but I also had like kind of a smirk on my face because good for him man Hero Oklahoma shout out the Hero Panthers yeah and it's so you because like I've said this before I even think I've, I may have gotten in trouble if, if I said this on air but I think I have with the franchise but like Brady's family's biggest thing 
was that he always every offseason was told, all right, you're going to be the four. We're going to bring in a five. We're going to bring in a center. We're going to bring in a center. And the next thing you know, 10 games into the season, Brady Mannix banging inside with the center and having to play more inside than outside. And it's just fit well more. It's fit him better out North Carolina has it was at Oklahoma. That's the way it goes. If you're listening to this, we'd love to have you at our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Some more interviews coming up this week, more Big 12 centric conversations, looking at film of Theo Weiss, looking at some of these recruits fit in coming down the pipeline this week. We'd love to have you. That's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. If you're also listening, we'd love, please leave a nice review, comment, subscribe to the podcast on all your podcasting platforms, including Spotify. We'd love love to have you i have to tell myself here map when we before we dive into our first topic in a very packed show i trolled i gotta tell on myself here i trolled oklahoma for the media access because you know the big deal those first week oh they had two open practices i trolled it before the podcast was recorded last week so in the in the pregame show with peyton i trolled it and I was just like, you know what? They're, they got 40 minutes. Like, Lincoln gave them 20. They still got two days. I'll be damned. They got two more open practices since then. And, man, they got some good footage of that W drill that they're running, which is basically the Oklahoma drill. But they got some great footage of that. Good insights from people being able to attend practice. Okay. I can mark it, and I send this over to you from this aspect, Matt. I can mark it off my checklist. We have seen something that has changed. It's not just out there and saying and spoken and, oh, all these things are different. No, this is, this is a little bit different. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's nice to see, man. It, it is nice to see. And, um, like, I work, we work with the guy, Eddie Radosevich, who's, like, I, I've had to fill in for him because he's, like uh, – I'll fill in for him on the morning show from eight to 10 because he's got to go film practice. Like it's, it's just cool, man. It's really cool to see. And, um, and to see kind of like how pumped people are to actually see footage of people practicing. Like, I don't know. I feel like, uh, especially me, I know, I know a lot of people didn't, and this has been a thing for a while about not having open practices or anything. So I probably took it for granted uh, about how cool it is to see guys just, out there popping pads man it, it is cool it gets gets fan excitement up gets gets all this stuff up so uh I, i'm i'm excited man i'm excited and um i think i think you you kind of have to especially with with the change and um with the change in coach and the, the new kind of re-energized fan base not saying they weren't energized before but uh, a re-energized and kind of spurned fan base like they they need stuff like this to you know, kind of, kind of keep them uh, engaged, keep that, uh, keep them fed basically. And then uh, hopefully, you know, you see all these, the, like the W drill you saw. Um, and hopefully that drives up some more interest. Like, Oh man, this guy looked great in this. Like let, let's pack the palace too. like getting the spring game, like all this stuff, man. It just, I, I can't see anything but positives coming from having an open media a portion uh, of practice. Yeah. And like I said, they've been getting like 40 minutes as well, which is about twice as much as what they got under the last regime. But yeah. 
I just want to note from the aspect, it's like, that is different, especially like waking up one morning and saying, Hey, open up practice. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think they're being very strategically smart, just like the last staff has been. And basically any staff moving forward that has ever worked on a broad stoops, they're going to be, they're going to use the media to their advantage. And um, I think that the last, three years. I mean, I worked in the media. It was very tough. I've made these complaints before. Matt has heard me complain about this. I mean, the fact that they prop up certain reporters on purpose and stuff like that. I mean, that happens everywhere, but it was just so blatant um, to other members of the media in terms of how they leaked information out. It was always very calculated, um, kept as much stuff private and not everything needs to be like, there's a fine line between like opening things completely up like Lon Kruger did Um in what is probably should be accepted by everybody. I mean, I saw some video of, did you see that stuff from Ohio state? Like they're, they had students in at practice. They allowed like a certain number of students and media into an entire practice, like seven on seven, like full scrimmage, like uh, nine on seven, like run game stuff. Like they, they allowed the media in for everything, which again, that's just, that's just not common. Um, and we'll see, I'm assuming in the NIL era, I mean, those guys from Ohio State making plays in practice, like that generates a bunch of engagement and views on social media and stuff like that. So I imagine we'll see it continue to play out. Speaking of open practice, this didn't happen um, within the open practice. But Matt, you remember the picture that that got posted? It was pretty. It was kind of. It was pretty cool. Brent Venables doing the push up with the team. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Did you see what happened out in Southern California today? I did not. No. You haven't seen this video? Oh, no. Um, I'm going to have to send it to you while I'm talking about it. Um, so I guess there was a bet at USC football practice. And the coaching staff lost the bet, right? Yeah. So I'm sending it to you right now. You can go check it out. It's on 24-7 Sports' Twitter page or at the at, – it is at, at the check down. Good Lord, that was tough to get out. Anyways. <laughs> The coaching staff at USC, Matt, I just sent you the tweet so you can look at it yourself. Um, and anybody else, like I said, you can go look at it after I'm done talking about it. But the USC coaching staff ha- did up-downs, and that included the good old Lincoln Riley. I bring this up from the aspect of, Matt, those first couple up-downs are interesting, huh? Yeah, they were uh, a little labored, it looks like. <laughs> a little labored. Uh, to say the least, but all right. It looks yeah. like he's cool. never done one before. Right. <laughs> As a, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't even really know what to make of that, man. I, um, <laughs> it is funny how that came out uh, a week after, right. Right after it was like, Oh, wow. The spring I game, see Lincoln do this. The spring game was scheduled the same day. There's a lot of eyes on each other, which I think is, it's very fun. It makes, it makes what our job is very fun in terms of creating content and, conversation and doing that um i didn't comment on it on twitter um but i will comment on it here i thought it was very funny i think that is i think that speaks to college football to a t-mat it's like oh yeah they're doing it so now we've got to go do something like i saw some pictures of some visits to texas like they had super nice sports cars out in front of their visits last weekend and i'm just like yeah yeah that's it's a copycat it's a copycat thing man Copycat thing. You gotta, everyone's gotta, you can't be behind in, in any aspects. 
And that's a good transition into why we get into the bulk of our podcast, Matt, because there was a quote about Lincoln Riley from Kale Gundy at the tail end of last week that we definitely need to dive into because there are two parts to it that I think are very interesting. We've talked about a couple pieces of this throughout the last month, um, ever since actually Jeff Levy was hired at Oklahoma. This is from Kale Gundy last or on April 1st, which I believe was Friday. Um, could be mistaken, could have been Thursday. Lincoln was a great offensive mind. We all know that. Lincoln was very creative, probably one of the most creative offensive minds I've ever been around. Lincoln, over time, learned the run game. With his background, his history, it was mainly throwing and passing and getting the ball in space. I think he would tell you he became a better coach when he got here because we ran the ball more. Again, Jeff is already polished in those areas. He's polished in everything. It is it is very impressive. Again, it's something that's only going to make us all better, make us better players, and make us better coaches. One, Matt, I'm going to ask you on this. How much of coach speak is that? Um, <laughs> and then two, what do you make of that? Um, I, I think I think there's quite a bit of coach speak. And Kale Gundy was uh, – I mean, he was one of the guys that were in limbo technically, but you, you, you always feel like Kale Gundy is going to be here – pretty much until he doesn't want to be. Um, so he was part of the like positive PR spin that was coming uh, after, after Lincoln left too. So uh, and, and that, that foot hasn't come off the gas pedal as far as the positive PR spin uh, for, for OU football. So no, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, but he, but he did like, he did give Lincoln a lot of credit. I will say the thing that I made of it though, was the bit about the run game. And it's, it's easy Er, it's easier to run whenever you have uh, the offensive line he did when he first got here and the running backs he did when he first got here. Like, it's easier to run. And then you saw it this season when he didn't, didn't necessarily have that offensive line anywhere near that. And uh, you saw him revert back to kind of what he knows, airing it out a little bit more. So I think it, it, was, it wasn't a shot by any means. Uh, I think it's more just kind of propping up the new guy and kind of trying to get people more excited uh, for what Jeff Levy has in store. And like, how could you not be too? Like Jeff Levy, his, his numbers, since he's a play caller, like they, they speak for themselves. Kill Gundy also added this, but I love the system that we're in offensively. It's a very exciting system and we've got a very impressive offensive coordinator. He's as well-rounded as any offensive mind I've ever been around ever in college football. There's some heavy words there, Matt. You know he's a guy that played offensive line. He learned it. And to me, that's kind of always key. And that's where you get the bright minds are the ones that really, truly learn the offensive line play, the run game, and the pass game. And then, obviously, he's had a chance to evolve and start to get into skill positions, and now he's with quarterbacks, but very impressive as an offensive coordinator. I mean, there's not anything in the offense that has to do with any 11 players on our side of the ball that he does not know. Alignment, assignment, technique, very, very impressive. The installs, we've done a good job through the spring. Players, like I said, it's been a strain for them to learn it. We force them. We really make them think, think hard. But they've done a tremendous job. There's some more stuff after that. But that's the bulk of those quotes. And I think you're right. And I agree with you in that aspect of we've talked about it since he was hired, um, more so in the last month since we I've, I've begun to study the offense to a little bit deeper extent. Matt, the run game – has a chance to be very interesting. Now that's reliant and dependent on specifically both tackles uh, at left and right tackle 
whoever plays those positions, improving what those were a year ago, improving what those have been since Bobby Evans, Cody Ford, and Orlando Brown graduated. Um, because the tackle play, I mean, you can go back through it. R.J. Proctor, Adrian Ely um, in 2019. You had Adrian Ely and Anton Harrison at 20. Last year, or an Eric Swenson in 21, you had a mixed bag of who was playing at left tackle at times. Even in game, they were switching guys. And I think the run game, and we're going to talk about the offensive line play all offseason, at least Oklahoma fans will, because they know the, the level offensive line play that is to be expected at Oklahoma. But I agree with Kel Gundy in the aspect of the running game you saw from Jeff Levy at UCF and Ole Miss, not necessarily the pass game, but the run game should get people very excited. I loved it. I think he had answers. We, we've talked about this. He's had, he had answers for a three-man front. He had answers when teams like to blitz a lot in the run game. He had answers for a four-man front. Um, and when he finds those answers, Matt, he continues to go to them and exploit those matchups. And I think that's – if there is something that every offensive coordinator at least wants to have that label on them as is that they figure out what works against the defense and they don't go away from it. If an offensive coordinator can take care of those two things, um, he's going to be in good shape. His offense is going to be in good shape. Jeff Levy at least has that in the run game. We're going to continue to talk about the pass game because I think there were some things we've talked about this, Matt. I think it goes more to say about Matt Corral than I think it does Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy loves to run RPOs. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's the the Baylor raid, whatever you want to call it. Um, But the run game stuff is very, very good, and having him and Bill Bean both together is certainly interesting. Do you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, any of the comments from Kale Gunn? That was that was kind of where my mind went was having Jeff Levy, who is a former offensive lineman, teaming up with one of the best offensive line coaches coaches in the country. Like I I don't know if uh, I don't know if Lincoln maybe leaned on Bill Beatonbow enough if that if that makes sense maybe um, Lincoln kind of strikes me as the guy that it was like. Like he was going to do what he wanted, basically. Like he was basically going to do uh, what he wanted in the offense, and rightfully so. I mean, he 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 earned that um, he earned that privilege and and that right with with the offenses that he had. Um, so that that's kind of my thing. And like you mentioned it too about not going away with stuff. It, it reminds me of the the famous Baylor game at Oklahoma, where they would just throw it to Katie cannon or whoever like just right as soon as they snap it because the the corners were off of them for 15 yards basically so they just snap it throw it directly out to them and then let them run for eight to ten yards like and and didn't go away from it um so that's kind of what i'm looking forward to also like hey if we're having success with that we're going to run until they stop it uh for sure and i completely agree with you we talked last week, Matt, and we spent – I spent all week last week on our Patreon. You can go, again, find that at patreon.com slash through the keyhole, talking about the defense. And we talked about how much of a mystery it is. Well, Matt, we have some answers, finally, on what this thing may look like. A couple tips. One last week. One came this morning. Um, one, let's talk about Mr. Billy Bowman, the guy that played nickel last year. He played safety last year, and he played corner. Um, that will not be the case in 2022. 
I get why he played three positions last year as a true freshman. He's incredibly talented. We're just trying to get him to be really good at one thing. That's from Mr. Brent Venables. I feel like it's really built my confidence being able to stick at one position. This is from Billy Bowman. As of now, I feel like it's just learning that position and becoming great at that one position before moving on to something else. I'm going to do my role, whatever it is, and do it to the best of my abilities. Two things stemming from this, Matt. The first question, obviously, if he's going to be at safety, what safety is he going to be at? I think it's opposite of where Key Lawrence is going to play at. Whenever you look at body types, I think you can probably put together Billy Bowman, Justin Broyles, and Trey Morrison. Those are three guys with similar body types, with similar skill sets, um, with different levels of experience. Um, and then the other thing, and I'll come to you on this, is, is do you see Billy Bowman being a guy that, that does start for Oklahoma last year despite the roller coaster ride that was 2021? I, I told this to uh, – I was on with Ryan last week. I, I, I don't care what you have to do, where they're playing. I want Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence on the, on the field. I think those two guys can just absolutely make plays, and that's what – that's kind of what Key Lawrence did. That He just came in and made plays. Like that's as, as simple as that sounds and maybe as stupid as that sounds. Uh, in kind of limited playing time, he made play like uh, – I think about the game against Kansas where he pokes the ball out, like gets a fumble. Like he would just always sort of kind of be in the right area. So I need, uh, for me, a key Lawrence has to play. Like he's, he's gotta be uh, on the football field on defense. And then Billy Bowman is just, he's just too good of an athlete, like to just not play. I, I think he's gotta be um, on there as well. I, I think it will help him. And probably, I mean, it's another sense of like, we, we got to, new defensive staff, new way of looking at things, new way. And they've had success, um, especially like not only um, their defense as a whole, but in the secondary as well, when they were at Clemson, like, um, so I, I think, I think Billy Bowman should, should play as much as possible. Cause I, I have, I have high hopes for that kid. I think he has a high ceiling. For sure. And here, I think Billy Bowman, Matt, gives Oklahoma a higher ceiling in the back end of their secondary. Just in terms of overall athleticism, I do think experience is going to come to bite him in the butt. And I think not because he's inexperienced, but because Justin Broyles has played so many snaps. I mean, he, I hate to pull stuff from social media, but he's the one leading Oklahoma out of, you know, breaking them out after practice. He looks like he's one of their more vocal guys. I'm sure this staff loves that. Um, just trying to think of who this staff kind of is as football guys. Uh, I'm sure they love that. And they also love the idea of Trey Morrison as well, who has played a ton of snaps in kind of a role like that. I think it's interesting. I don't know where Billy Bowman, I think that's probably where he fits best. Um, but to maximize who he is as a player in 2022, Maybe it is behind those guys and learning the defense better, Matt. Like that may, that could be what it is, but that's at least one thing that we can take off the board. Now, you know, Key, we knew Key Lawrence was at safety. So now we know what both safety types look like. We put this um, up behind our, on our Patreon. I'm going to pull it up here in just a second, but that basically the only position on this defense we're now a little bit lost on is the nickelback Sam position. Um, and kind of who plays there, where does it fit? 
because we found out today, Matt, um, that David Aguebu is a Mike linebacker. Um, and he's going to be there. He's not going to move the edge. He's not going to move to a different position. David Aguebu is going to play the same position he played a year ago. That doesn't come as a surprise to us. Um, but I do think, I want to say from this perspective, Matt, I don't think that, I don't think that means that he's going to start over Deshaun White, but I do think that Deshaun White, if things do not go well, and this staff who likes to blitz a lot and bring a ton of pressure, if they basically decide at some point this season, Matt, that we're just going to blitz like crazy every single game and they blitz the Mike backer a lot during games, getting David Aguebu going downhill isn't a bad idea. And maybe that's why what I think that they're thinking is with that. And when people, you know, I had a guy um, that listens to the podcast reach out to me via Twitter today, Matt, you know, basically, why do you think David Aguebu doesn't fit into this defense? He just, he doesn't run in space and move in space the way that the Clemson linebackers did like that. Just, it's just not there, but this is a different league. It's a different situation. They're going to face a lot more 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field in the big 12. And he's a bigger body that can take on that kind of stuff. And I think the big thing that cost a year ago, Matt, and we highlighted it a lot on our Patreon, unfortunately, he seemed lost like in run fits. Like he'd be the guy that should be responsible for the quarterback. He's chasing down the running back and, or, they're running split zone. He's moving too far one direction. Gets caught up in the wash. They have a successful run. And those things concern me about him at Mike. But like I said, the philosophy behind Aguebu being a Mike in the aspect of they like to blitz a lot. If they don't think their pass rush with just their normal four defensive linemen isn't going to be good enough, and blitzing is going to be an answer for them this year, which that always tends to be whenever coaches feel that way about their defensive line. David Waybu, Mike's not a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. And he came in, he came into OU as a defensive end, I believe, I think. And um, yeah, got, got moved back to linebacker. So not, nah, I'm, I'm with you. If, if they just want to use him, you're like, Hey man, it's third, third dad, come on in blitz from that mic spot I, i'm with you that that's a that's a large human coming downhill uh from that position so i am uh i am all in on that it, the linebacker thing is just all the linebackers in general that's gonna be uh that's gonna be something that i'm i'm looking forward to see uh who trots out there the majority of the snaps with with all the kind of talent they they have coming back there and uh, the freshmen all coming in, which I, I'm sure, I'm sure the freshmen they're probably uh, further away than what what people want to believe. But uh, even having like an athlete like Jaron Canick out there, like I'm I'm intrigued by uh, the linebacker spot for sure. Yeah, and and I mentioned a second ago, like everything else is kind of falling into place now, right? Like now that both safety spots, what position, like they look like, like at free safety, you have Key Lawrence, a guy like Jordan Mukes and Robert Spears Jennings. Those are all three very similar body types that all can play very similar similarly on the field. Justin Broyles, Trey Morrison, Billy Bowman. I would imagine at Mike linebacker, but I guess 
I mentioned Nickelback, that Sam Apex player, whatever you want to call it, is like the remaining mystery. And we're going to talk about why a, a certain player could maybe fit in there. But let me ask you this. If David Aguebu starts seeing the field a lot better, where he's not getting lost, he's not getting – he's not missing a run fit, he's not getting stuck in the wash, he's playing more downhill, he's playing with his eyes really, really well, he, he's playing – being a more cerebral football player. Do you just – do you move Deshaun White over to Will? Do you – is he just your backup Mike and you let Danny Stutzman do it, Matt? Like how – or Shane Witter or Jaron Canick playing the Will? Like is, is this a possibility where if things don't go well for Deshaun White, he – it kind of we've seen the last of him in Oklahoma. Man, I – I, I would think so, but I mean, the, that, that guy, he's played a lot of snaps too. And we mentioned uh, the experience and why, like, maybe Billy Bowman won't get a whole lot. I, I think uh, that might happen with, with linebacker too. I, I want to see Danny Sussman play. Like, he is, he made a ton of plays. And even when he didn't, even when he missed some, like, he, he missed going a million miles an hour, which is what I want to see happen. Like, if you're going to miss, don't miss by taking yourself out of the play. Cause you're like, you're loafing around, not trying to do whatever. Like he was missing going a million miles an hour. So that's a, I think that's a great trait to have. I just don't know if, if Stutzman makes a, another jump, I, I don't know how you could not play him though. That's, that's my, that's kind of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be the, the fight that they're going to have this year. Um, specifically a linebacker, like there's so many combinations they could put together that make sense, but don't make sense that could work together that may not work together. And I would imagine they don't figure any of that out in the spring either, but David Aguayby staying at Mike is obviously super interesting. We'll see how that kind of plays out. We're getting a little emergency alert here. No, not good. An Amber alert, but I mentioned a second ago, the Sam Nickelback apex player, for people that don't know, Caleb Kelly, the role that he played at the end of 2018, the role that Buki Redley-Hiles played um, during his time, and then Trey Norwood, that that position. Whatever that position looks like. At Clemson, they put Isaiah Simmons there at one point, and it was really, really fun to watch. Um, a year ago, Matt, it was Trenton Simpson, a 6'2", 220-225-pound linebacker was playing that position. There is a guy that makes a lot of sense in Jaron Canick. We've talked about it at, at ends. Maybe there's another one. Donning number 37, making his return back to Oklahoma. Justin Harrington, who probably doesn't deserve the five minutes of this conversation we're about to have because I don't know what kind of impact he has. But Matt, he fits a body type. 6'3", 210, 215. Elite runner, not willing, you know, willing to get his nose dirty in the run game from his junior college tape. He's only got one year of eligibility. He's a walk-on. He's not a scholarship player, so he's having to earn a scholarship back. Is there any way Justin Harrington makes things interesting on this defense? Man, we've uh, we've been waiting for it, man. <laughs> that uh, the the previous staff man, Coach Grinch, he. He was always, uh, yeah, they need to be a certain body type, certain speed, and kept trotting uh, Pat Fields and DTY out there, which, I mean, they, they did fine, but he just kept preaching about the certain body type and then just 
refuse to play guys with that body type. Um, so I, I don't know what kind of impact Harrington has. We frankly just haven't seen him. Like we have not seen him. Um, him like uh, Bryson Washington was another guy that was like, oh, he fits Grinch's scheme perfectly. Never saw him, and it's just it was one of those things, man. They I guess they just kind of got lost in the shuffle and lost to uh, lost out to the experience of the other guys. But um, man, I I don't know. You would hope so. A guy with with those that body type, that athleticism, you'd hope that he could come in and make an impact. Um, just haven't seen it, man. But as far as that position goes, man, it, down the road, I think that got that has Jaden Rose's name written all over it. I'm with you. I, I think that, and I also think, you know, we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about this, this off season. Um, like I, I'm not ever, never going to, and I'm doing for my, my best right now, not to pigeonhole Oklahoma into this, the, this traditional Brent Venables four, two, five defense. Um, because he has been a little bit weird. Like we, I pointed out last on our video last week in the Pittsburgh game, he was like an exclusively dime. Like he was in a four-one-six against Pittsburgh. Um, he's run a three-two-six. He's run a three-two-five. Like he's or three-three-five. I mean, he he's run some different stuff. I I, I just want to mention that. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't rule anything out. And I, I comes into the next point. The next thing we're going to talk about is blocking out the camp noise, blocking out practice noise, blocking out off-season noise. There's a report. Uh, I will say somewhat friends of the podcast and over at inside Texas, Matt, uh, of some Texas practice notes today. Um, there's going to be notes from Oklahoma practice on websites, podcasts. There's going to be this, there's going to be that. Um, I don't think in the era of we have more fans or people closely associated to these programs. The more that we have that, Matt, covering these teams, I am just saying, I'm going to continue, I'm going to say it this offseason all the time. I am going to try to ignore all of this with as much of my body as in voice and mind and time and as possible. Did did Texas have the best practice of all time? Is that is that what you're referring to? No, I guess their quarterbacks suck. I guess they can't <laughs> block it. I guess they can't block their defense, who shocker abysmal a year ago. Um, and blah 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 blah. It's to me, I'm just sitting here, I'm just like, man, who knows what's right, who knows what's wrong, unless people are in attendance. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if if I have right. a guy that's there that I see that he has video proof at these practices, makes it a little bit different. Like, like last week, like CJ Stroud was really, really good in the Ohio State practice against Jim Knowles' defense. And like you could see it, you visually could see it yeah. happen. And I think that that's a different world than these practice reports that are out there right now. I just maybe it's the last two years of covering OU football. Uh, we're not. I wouldn't even say we're covering it. Like you know, day to day, being at press conferences and in scrums and that fun stuff. But even these last two years, just from afar, Matt, like it has been very apparent the information has never been more hit or miss. Yeah, I um, I'm with you. I, I'm always skeptical, but especially now too. Like like we talked about, like I'm I'm sure, I'm sure the practices are going great at OU. I'm I'm sure. I'm 
I just I know that the the positive PR machine it has not stopped since Lincoln left. So I, I'm 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 taking it all with kind of a grain of salt. Like I'm sure Dylan Gabriel does look good. I'm sure. I, I I'm just not gonna believe that he's gonna come in and be just a world beater from day one. Like I'm sure he'll have some struggles. I'm sure he'll look good at times. Like I, I'm just try to try to stay on an even keel, even keel with, with all this stuff coming out. Oh, I completely, completely agree. Is there anything else football related that you guys have may have talked about on air that we've missed or anything like that before we move on? Um, just that I have a football man crush on Miguel Chavis. Yeah, it's about the it. Quote uh, the from quotes, Down yes. Good. He, he's a quote machine, man. I could just – I could listen to that guy talk all day. Is there – the Jay Valai quote today about being around Bryn Vibbles is like a drug? I mean, <laughs> like you said, I mean, like, it is cloudy here in Oklahoma today, but the sunshine out of Norman could have shined over all of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But hey, like I- I'm sure everyone everyone's having fun, still in the honeymoon phase. Like let's just let's keep that let's just keep that in mind. It is the honeymoon phase until Oklahoma goes up to Nebraska on September 17th. Do you have some little bit non-football Oklahoma athletics related things to talk about? Because Oklahoma baseball is getting into conference play. They had their second conference series this last weekend. They are three and three now in Big 12 play. They took a three-game series from Baylor two weekends ago. They go one and two this week last weekend in Arlington against Texas. Did you see the whole hoopla about them moving that game in the series? Uh, I saw it, but I guess I really didn't understand the hoopla. So the Rangers, thanks to the MLB lockout map, they had an op- they had an opening at Arlington to host a series, and so they called the Big Twelve and OU in Texas and said, "Hey, let's go down and let's play the series in Arlington." And both schools and programs got offered a lot of money to go down there and participate in that, as many people would expect. Well, there were more Texas fans at the ballpark in Arlington than there were OU baseball fans because this is no offense to OU baseball fans. And, and this is a program thing, too. Like, they're not – they haven't been a team that's besides 2020 that's probably deep enough in the last five, six years that's could be go to a deep run and maybe make a run to Omaha. But that should have been expected. Like, Texas fans were going to outnumber OU fans in Arlington. They're just – OU baseball fans, unless they're really, really good. Um, it's kind of like OU men's hoops, um, unless they're really, really good fans aren't going to show up. And so they played basically a a neutral side game that was somewhat a road atmosphere, so to say, even though there weren't a ton of fans at those games down in Arlington, but they lose this series, Texas. They get two games taken from them, the rubber match on Sunday. They blew a 7-1 lead. I know, Matt, you don't know a ton about the OU baseball program. Their bullpen hasn't been good for a long time, um, really under Skip Johnson. They blow a 7-1 lead. They had a guy in right field overrun a routine fly ball, landed behind him, walk the next guy. It was 7-1 at this time. 
Next guy hits a three-run home run at 7-4. Walk the next guy. Give up a single maybe in there. And then give up another three-run home run, 7-7. Go scoreless in the eighth. So that happened in the seventh. It's now scoreless in the eighth. Get to the ninth, top of nine. Routine fly ball at the left field. I believe the first batter of the inning, Matt. Uh, Center fielder, left fielder run into each other. Oh, no. But they did go two and two last week. They beat Oklahoma State in a midweek game. So there is. They picked up a couple off off some good programs. They did. Yeah. And they've got the number three strength of schedule. They're number 20 RPI about about midway through the season at this point. Um, I know, again, you don't know a ton about them. They've got a really good Friday night starter. Their Saturday and Sunday starters are kind of hit and miss. Um, David Sandlin and Chaz Martinez. But they uh, got a big week ahead of them. They got a game against Oral Roberts on Tuesday. Oral Roberts is always good at baseball. They got a weekend series in Stillwater at O'Brate. Fantastic stadium up there in Stillwater, by the way. That is an SEC baseball stadium um, at Oklahoma State. And we're talking about this from the essence of, man, if they don't go two and two this week against another tough schedule, um, say they go worse, say they even go 0 and 4, Oklahoma baseball may be in search for another head coach. Yeah. I, uh, like you said, don't know much about OU baseball. I do know that. Um. Yeah, Skip Johnson, the hot seat, the the hot seat, and maybe has been for a little bit. Yeah, it. I wouldn't say for a little bit. I think these are continuous issues, like batted bats with runners in scoring position, mental errors in the field, uh, mental errors running the bases. I mean, there's just a lot of those little things that, like, oh, you football fans getting mad at some of those little things with football and like freaking out about it would hate watching this OU baseball team, if, if, especially if they do the game. Um, and watching OU baseball, honestly, for the last four, five, six, seven years. So they got a big week ahead of them. Um, and we'll certainly see how those things shake out. But I wanted to get a little baseball talk in there. Before we get into something that people will care about a little bit more, the OU men's basketball program, lose the key assistant, David Patrick. Now, Matt, because – assistants are now more tied and I know you because you follow college basketball a lot closer than I do these assistants are now so tied to these recruits more than these head coaches losing an assistant it's always a big deal right yeah it a bigger deal is. than maybe even in football definitely is and um especially like I, I think David Patrick was the one who recruited the Benny Schroeder kid uh from Germany that's committed to OU so that's another that's another thing to watch. And people are really ex- we're really excited for the Schroeder kid to come in and uh hope he still does. I <laughs> hope he still does after this. But yeah, you know, it's a uh, it is more than probably uh football. It, it is uh probably more imperative that your assistant coaches you, you try to keep them as much as you can. Um but yeah, no. So we'll we'll see what happens with uh Benny Schroeder, but um yeah, losing losing an assistant it's never that's never option A. No, yeah, for sure. They lose David Patrick. He's going to be the next head coach at Sacramento State. Per report, I believe this is out there from Bob Persabillo. They're not losing KT Turner, Emmanuel Dildy, though. So that set looks like highly touted prospect guard Milos Uzon um, won't be leaving um, with those two assistants staying. Alston Mason. 
guard Porter Moser's first commitment and signee entering the portal from Kansas City. He won't be the last. I know there's a lot of rumors, and I, there's even been some rumors. I'll say this about you know Bijan Cortez, uh, CJ Nolan, I believe. Bob Persvillo, senior script reported. He's not leaving. His mom responded to it. All good there. Um, a. Cole Moween, A.K. Moween. We'll see what happens there. Rick Asanza, we'll see what happens there. But, Matt, it is the national championship to get tonight in basketball. Um, if Oklahoma loses Mo Gibson to where if he's going to go play some Euro ball, get paid some money to play while he can still do it, like, does that change – how you view Oklahoma heading into next season and what a year could be like under Porter Moser? Um, it does because they relied so heavily on him, like down the stretch, especially down the stretch of the season, man. It, I, losing Goldwire to graduation and then Emoja, if Emoja Gibson leaves, like that's two really experienced guards gone. And man, experienced guard play is a, is a premium in college basketball. So uh, that, that would definitely change what I think about OU's team uh, specifically just next year. Um, but going forward, I, I mean, as long as Porter Moser is here, I don't, I don't have any worries um, about, about the basketball program. I don't, cause I, I just, I think he's one hell of a coach and uh, just got to get, got to get some recruits and got to get a big man. Like that's, that is, that is imperative too. getting, getting a big man back. But, uh, on the surface, you got the Groves brothers coming back. You got Elijah Harkless. Hopefully, he'll come back healthy. Um, and then the guards, if you can slide Bijan Cortez and um, and CJ Nolan in there, that'd be great to go along with. I, I keep I always forget about Jalen Hill. I shouldn't forget about Jalen Hill. That guy sure. can absolutely play. So, um, yeah, losing losing experienced guards is never that, that's never fun. It's never a good thing. Um, so hopefully, Moji Gibson comes back. Um, but I, I would like to see a lot more of, of CJ Nolan. I am, I am a big fan of his, I, I think going forward, um, he's going to be a really good one for OU. I agree. And I'm interested, again, you mentioned Benny Schroeder, like that's a guy that's so super intriguing and probably would be one of Porter Moser's first high, higher draft picks. I don't know where he kind of stands right now, but all the reviews before he committed and then the year he had it over in Europe this last year, all super impressive. I hope they get a chance to coach him up. Like I mentioned, Miles Uzon, the big time guard commitment for Oklahoma. I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. Um, and things are kind of positive, like in terms of Oklahoma basketball. And they also have a, to a Otega Uwe um, committed a combo guard, very explosive, high energy guy that loves to play defense let you know about it. Um, I'm excited, man. Like I, you know, you, you want to be, you, you hear all these programs, especially in the big 12 wanting to be a Monday night basketball program, which is means playing in the final game of the year, like major steps in year one. Um, and we know it took 10 years at Loyola. He, he isn't going to get 10 years at Oklahoma um, unless he puts a team together, like what long Kruger did during his first cycle, right. With buddy and those guys. But it could certainly – I think not losing KT Turner and, and if they can bring Schroeder in, keep Uzon, um, you know, replace Austin Mason and anybody transferring with better players, like you're in a, you're in a much better position than when you were in 2021. So I'm, uh, I'm with you. Uh, we've agreed a lot 
which we always do, Matt. Uh, but I'm with you on that. I, I'm I'm very interested to see how they fill this thing out through the portal. They've got to get more shooting. They missed so many open shots this year. And that's really the only reason why, like, I have any confidence about Porter Moser. We knew the defense was going to be good. It was always about the offense. And they missed so many and took – they missed so many open shots and they took so many bad shots. Within structure, they missed so many open shots. When they had to create on their own, they took so many bad shots. And that's just not conducive to winning – basketball especially in college yeah no it's not and um my mind goes back to and well to uh, another part of that is i mean tanner Grove started off hot and then just sure. once conference play started you're playing a big guy, is he a guy let me cut you off real quick is he yeah. a guy that needs a big do they need to go get a big six foot eleven seven foot center and he'd be a four kind of like what happened yeah. with manic in north carolina this year yeah um man i i would think so I would think so, honestly. I mean, he does some good work. Like, offensively, he does some good work down in the post. Um, but defensively, man, if – like, and that's another thing. You lose Ethan Shagwa, too, who came in and played uh, great minutes whenever uh, Tanner Groves was not, whenever he was not playing great minutes. So, um, you don't have a guy you can just sub in when Tanner Groves isn't isn't feeling it that night or something, or, or is um, – or he's not playing great on defense. Like you don't have that kind of scapegoat. All right, Ethan, go in there and play great minutes for us. Um, so that's another thing. They, they, I think they have to hit the portal hard for a big guy. You, you have to, I think, for this team uh, to have a lot of success last year. Because, listen, Tanner Gross, he does well. And I do think he's a good player. But um, every week or every, every game in the Big 12, you're playing a big guy that's more athletic than you. And um, and bigger than you, more physical than you. Like, that's it, it's not like uh, the big the Big Sky Conference, man, where you maybe have one of those guys that you have to play against uh, in that conference. You're playing against them every single game uh, in the Big Twelve. Oh, for sure, I agree. Oh, softball stays undefeated last week. They didn't play anybody. I think they beat Wichita State and UAB. Um, outside of that, it's kind of a slow news week. A lot of fighting this morning, Matt, over uh, charging fans to get into spring games. You see any of that? I didn't. Oh, yeah. What, what's, oh, the, yeah. what's the charge? What's the price? Oh, yeah. I think it was uh, Texas, A&M, Texas A&M fans were saying, I guess, on social media or on Twitter, were basically saying it was bad. It looked bad on OU that they were charging – for people to get into their spring game because their spring game is to get in is free. I think Texas is Texas is as well. So there was, I think that was today's OU Twitter. They found somebody talking shit about them in that form. And they just decided to go after them. Like, I think like there's a, there's a new enemy every single day. You yeah. don't know who it's going to be for OU Twitter, but it's just that one person before noon every day that, says something that slights Oklahoma in any sense of fa- any sense or fashion. And they, they just pounce, man. It's, it's as aggressive as OU Twitter has ever been. I can't think of another time. Oh no. It's a, like I said, man, it's a spurned fan base. The, the, uh, you know, the light it's, it's, it's quick. It's quick. That, uh, that spark it's, it's quick, man. Yeah, they're quick triggered um, fan base right now. Uh, just because you know they, they just went through a breakup that was not uh that was not um you know mutual <laughs> at the start at least 
Um, so I, I'm with you, man. I, I get it, but I will say if Texas uh, A&M never mutual Matt when you're you're cheating on your in your right, exactly exactly in Southern California exactly it's a touchy subject right now anything's a touchy subject and uh, I get it I get it I I, I would be too and um, I will say though if A&M and Texas the next time they have a uh, Heisman statue get put up with uh, at the same time as their spring game, we'll see if they charge. We'll see if they charge for like a whole, should have for a whole about event. This. Oh, wait, it's probably going to happen again next year because Kyler Murray is probably going to get his statue. I bet they do that. I bet they <laughs> do that. Absolutely. I bet that goes down in the fall this year at one of the homecoming games or like whatever. But, oh, man, I was going to – oh, I was going to bring up – oh, yeah, the Baker Mayfield, the Heisman. We probably should have talked about this today because some of the details were announced last week. Um, so we'll throw this in at the end. Are you a fan of them doing the whole like halftime, like Baker's gonna be on the field and they're unveiling the statue outside? Like, kind of weird, right? Well, like, isn't there a better way for everybody to be around the statue? And right, yeah, you would think so. You would think so. But hey, I mean, you know, when it's it's been a while since they've had to do one of these, so you know, little rest, knocking the rust off a little bit, a bit. Do they put up starting statues for guys who are no longer starting quarterbacks in the NFL? <laughs> I think you have to still. I think you still have to. <laughs> I guess they did put Jason White's statue up. Right. He, never he never started a game at quarterback in the NFL. I think Baker's going to be a Cleveland Brown, though, whenever he comes back to Norman, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, he'll still be uh, – that'll still be his official title, but um, not if uh, – it'll be begrudgingly. <laughs> you see he's doing a podcast interview? Is he with you? Mike Studd. He's doing rapper. Mike Studd. All right. Mike Studd's really good friends with uh, Johnny Manziel, so. Yeah, this is actually good the company. second football player that Mike Studd's ever interviewed. He first interviewed Johnny Manziel after he left Cleveland, and he will also be interviewing Baker Mayfield. Okay, after, well, after he leaves Cleveland, well, let's hope uh, let's hope Baker still wants to play football after this after this interview. That is surely, surely. I hope everybody hears our trolling. Um, but yes, it will certainly be interesting to see how that situation unfolds. Before I get myself in any more trouble tonight, Matt, we're gonna get out of here. If you guys enjoyed this podcast again, please, please, please. Go subscribe, review, rate on all your podcasting platforms, including Spotify. Um, a lot of people, we mention it every week. A lot of people don't know that that can happen. So we greatly, greatly appreciate you if you would go do that. If you enjoy our content, you can see more of it at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, no Peyton to get us out of here this week, Matt. So I will just say this. We hope you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you guys next time.